I'm Larissa, and I want to help you find the best strategy for communicating the magic and wonder of your jewelry brand so you can thrive by doing what you love and filling the world with beauty and creativity. Welcome to the Joy Joya Jewelry Marketing Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Larissa Worstiak. On this podcast, I explore topics in digital marketing for jewelry designers and retailers, including branding, content, email, events, social media, and more. This is episode 42, and today I'll be sharing an interview I did with Brenna Pakes, who's the creative force behind Jewelry Navigator, a podcast and website that guides shoppers to unique jewelry selections created by independent designers. A GIA graduate gemologist with an undergraduate degree in geology, Brenna has enjoyed nearly 20 years of retail jewelry experience as a gemologist and jewelry consultant. Through the Jewelry Navigator website and podcast, she promotes brand awareness for designers who create beyond commercial trends and whose designs resonate with shoppers looking to celebrate what makes them unique. In this episode, we discuss topics like what makes her excited about sharing a jewelry brand with her audience? What are the brands she thinks have excellent branding and marketing strategies? And which ones are the best at engaging with customers? What does she think about the gap between customers and indie jewelry brands? Do customers lack access to indie jewelry brands? What do customers want? And how can indie jewelry designers address those wants? What more can indie jewelry brands be doing to find their audience and really engage with it? How can jewelry brands better connect with their customers, especially if they're just starting out and haven't yet built a following? Without further ado, let's jump into my interview with Brenna. She'll start by sharing how she first became interested in jewelry and how her career path took her from brick and mortar jewelry stores to airplanes and then back to the ground on the World Wide Web. I've always loved jewelry and it started back probably in college, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. I did feel that I wanted to follow a track and be an educator and science and has always interested me. But I didn't know that the geology aspect was going to tie in until I took one of the basic geology classes. And I fell in love with it. The whole rock cycle made sense. And to know that all of these minerals and things form on the earth to become you know, mountains, and then eventually they, you know, they disappear and they come back in other forms. It just fascinated me. So I chose to get a degree in geology. And at the time of graduation, the big jobs were still some involved with oil companies, but the big thing was water contamination and um, hydrology. And I knew I didn't want to be mucking around in in any kind of wastewater or doing anything like that. So I kind of regrouped and um, chose not to go in the direction of education. I was done, wanted to get out of school and be done with it mm-hmm. and looked into um, gemology and found that GIA offered a full course with a diploma. And um, that's what I decided to do. So I went out to California and did the did the courses in residency and graduated with my graduate gemology diploma and went to work for a small store in Florida where I was originally from. Unfortunately, they closed fairly soon after I began working, even before the the Christmas season, and I found myself 
for the car payment and bills and responsibilities that I needed to take care of. And I needed a job fast. <laughs> My father was an aviator um, by career and also military. And at the time he learned that one of the major airlines was hiring. So I thought, you know, that's perfect. I'm familiar with air travel and um, interviewed and got hired. So I took kind of a career diversion and flew for about a decade. And um, that was fun and great. And in between then I met my husband, we started a family. And shortly after, um, before our kids got too much older, I resigned and um, returned back into the jewelry industry, working for small independent jewelry stores. And um, that was wonderful. But what I found was a lot of consumers coming into the store and having questions with answers that weren't quite right. They were being misinformed and I really felt that needed to be addressed. So I started Jewelry Navigator as a means to educate shoppers, to guide them to make accurate and well-informed purchase decisions. Um, mm -hmm. not only based on knowing what I know about diamonds and gemstones and guiding them in making um, good choices for jewelry that's going to hold up, but also understanding the quality and construction that goes into a piece of jewelry that's going to last. I really felt mm -hmm. like that was being, um, I wasn't being represented very well. And it was something that I felt that needed to be kind of exposed and shared. So that's how I started Jewelry Navigator. I also have a passion for the unique and the unusual. And at the same time, people and shoppers started to want to show more of their, their individuality, their personalities, what makes them unique, what's important to them. And those kind of things started to show up in what was what they were as jewelry especially when it comes to you know, things that are ethically sourced and um, supporting small and independent jewelry designers and businesses. So that's kind of the track that I started to go in because the unique jewelry is typically made by these, these small and independent jewelry designers. They, they design outside of the typical commercial box and that's really where my um, passion has started to take me is really getting behind these small independent jewelry designers who are within their, you know, first to third year of, you know, being established and helping them find their way and also introducing them to my audience who is interested in, in wearing jewelry that makes them, you know, stand out and represents what makes them unique. What an interesting journey. I didn't realize that you are a flight attendant for a decade. That's a pretty yeah. good chunk. Of <laughs> yes, yes, it was. It was. And it's it's a really fun vocation. It's addicting because you can go wherever you want, um, pretty yeah. much whenever you want. And it really it is wonderful. You get to be around people you you know never met, meet interesting people. Um, the flight crews are great. And um, anyway, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. And I really enjoyed it when when I was when I was with the airline. I bet you have a lot of insight into the types of jewelry that holds up really well while traveling, too. 
I do. Yes. <laughs> only because, only because I was there, you know, um, mm-hmm. working with your hands manually, doing anything manually, whether it's, um, you know, working in a doctor's office, putting latex gloves on and off all day. Um, as a flight attendant, you're constantly moving in the galley, you know, pulling, pulling drinks, drawers of drinks and ice in and out. So your hands get, you know, a lot of, um, not abuse, but it exposes your jewelry to a lot of wear and tear. So yeah, that's another, um, that's another aspect of jewelry. I really like to make people aware of so that they, that once again, they choose designs that are going to be wearable and that are going to last. And they're not going to be sad if it breaks because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't conducive to their activity level. So what's your goal with Jewelry Navigator and what do you like most about running the website? I would say my goal is to find easier ways to help designers find their ideal clients and customers. At the same time, help these customers who are looking for really unique and unusual jewelry find them. So kind of a connector between the two uh, groups of people. And um, in any way that I can support the designers that I'm featuring on the podcast and on the website. So yeah, that's basically basically my goal. Um, there's so many changes going on with social media. It seems to be kind of the the buzzword, and it's it's almost like um, you know the sky is falling. <laughs> we mm-hmm. we yeah. we've gotten so dependent on. Um, social media carrying a lot of the load of getting our, um, you know, our brand and our products out in front of people, you know, now things are, things are changing. So I feel like the, the little guys need a little bit more help. You have no shortage of indie jewelry designers to feature and work with. I mean, I feel like that part of the industry is really growing and booming now with lots of creative people adding their perspective I'm curious what really makes you excited about working with a jewelry brand? What sparks your interest? What makes you want to share their story and help them connect with customers? What are you really looking for when you're kind of choosing these brands to feature? I'm looking for jewelers and designers who are aware of what makes an item of jewelry hold up well, but at the same time, beautiful with um, whether it's set with gemstones or it carries itself by its its design. And I'm really passionate about sharing gemstones, especially unique and unusual gemstones that people may not be aware of. Because in the big commercial stores, you know, someone, someone in the suburbs might walk into their jewelry store and never know that tourmaline exists or that garnet comes in other colors besides red. So I really get lit up when I see designers taking advantage of that and expressing their, you know, their, their design aesthetic through unique means of either colored gemstones or, you know, bringing a design together. So what catches my attention are designers who are doing something different. I can't imagine a world where I didn't know what tourmaline is. So I think you're doing <laughs> some wonderful work because <laughs> I love tourmaline. How much do you would you say that your own personal style preferences play a role in the brands that you're attracted to versus 
how much you know about consumers and what they're looking for. Is there a balance between the two or does sometimes one outweigh the other? I think we're all drawn to what catches our eye and what we feel is pleasing. Like, I like diamonds. They're nice. But the only diamond I'll probably ever own is my diamond engagement ring. If I were to go into, you know, if if all of the designers put jewelry in front of me, I would choose something with a colored stone over a diamond any day. So I I have to be careful and be aware of that, that I'm not being, um, I'm not giving too much, um, too much of my opinion or letting too much of my opinion and appreciation for colored gemstones push push the other designs and, and like diamond jewelry out of the way. Yeah, to get back to your original question, um, I think a lot of it depends too of your stage of life. Like I've already, I'm already married. Engagement rings, diamond rings, they're, you know, I'm, it's not on my radar. But if it were, I'd probably be showing more diamond rings. Um, but being aware of that and making sure that I represent those interests is really important to me. So, um, I try to balance it out. Like, um, through the week, I try to stick to themes and on Wednesdays, it's really easy to do wedding Wednesdays. I'll feature some of my, um, some of the designers that I featured before who do heavy diamond jewelry on, on those days. So you are exposed to so many different brands. Uh, You of all people probably would be able to tell me which ones you think have some really great branding and marketing strategies and which brands are already doing a really great job of engaging with customers. I think it's helpful for independent jewelry brands to have examples that they can look at of brands that are already doing a great job so they can kind of take steps to follow their lead. Mm-hmm. Do you have any examples you can share? Sure, sure. I have a few. Um, one of one of the designers that came to mind is um, is Julie Lamb. When I talked to her for the podcast, she shared with me that she utilized she tapped into a resource of knitters. You know these groups of knitters. And made them aware of her, of her jewelry, you know, being lamb and wool. I feel like that was such a smart, a smart way to go. Think definitely thinking out of the box. And I love how she brands her name, lamb, with a lot of her, her logo and her, she ties it in. It's really whimsical. Another jewelry designer I feel is, and these are all pretty small, but I feel like I've seen a lot of growth in the past, you know, six months to a year. Another one I really like is um, Lorianne Jewelry. She's kind of quiet and on the backside, but every time she posts something, it just explodes. Her jewelry designs are so unique and beautiful, and she's um, doing a lot of trunk shows on her own. So I feel like by her getting behind her brand and pushing, you know, her putting her own weight into it, I feel like I'm seeing a lot of growth from her. Emily Coven Jewelry is another one. I love how she integrates her her style and her interest in travel and art history. 
I love how she kind of brings those things together and shares them on her Instagram feed. So it makes a really comfortable way to follow her jewelry and understand why she chooses the designs that she does. And then another one is Gigi Ferranti. I really feel that um, she just is a class act. And I love how she she shows her jewelry. And um, I just think she's she's made exponential growth in the last year. So I hope that gives you a pretty good overview of what I see and why I feel like it's important. Yeah, those are all really great examples. And I mean, I agree with the Julie Lamb example. She's <laughs> one of my clients, so I'm a little bit biased on that. But yeah, I actually want to get her as a guest on my podcast to talk about all the work that she's done to find this niche audience of knitters because mm-hmm. it did happen kind of accidentally for her, but the but she was open to that and she was willing to, to keep following that, you know, even though she didn't know anything about knitting, she doesn't knit, you know, she doesn't have a clue about any of that, but she was really open-minded about it and kind of embraced it. And it's been working well for her. And I think that's awesome. And I'm not, not so familiar. What was the second one that you said? Lori Ann? Lori Ann Jewelry. Let me make sure oh, that's yeah. her, I'm so familiar with I do love Emily Kuvent's pieces. I kind of want to buy one for myself. She has <gasps> pieces. Yes, yeah. In yeah. fact, um, I just ordered a piece from her because I'm going to be doing um, I'm going to be doing some posts that show kind of a school spirit theme. Mm-hmm. And um, my daughter, who went to Ecuador, she goes to Penn State, and we're huge um, college football fans. So. Um, she, I had her make one of her mini Stella pendants for me in Penn State colors. So I can't wait to share it. Oh, that's awesome. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Her designs are really memorable. Like if you're familiar with her, if you saw her a piece like out in the wild, you would be able to identify it. You know, it's just very her. Another designer I have a lot of respect for and I see a lot of great things getting ready to happen for her is Mary Vanderay. Her jewelry is just so unique. And here's a perfect example of what catches my eye. She has a high focus on colored gemstones, especially rare colored gemstones, but her designs are just so different, but they're very simple and um, they just, captivate your attention and she's um she's out doing trade shows on her own they're more uh the gem mineral and jewelry shows so she's actually putting herself in front of the consumer just going directly to the consumer so Mm -hmm. she's she's another one of my favorites and i just have so much admiration for her as a jewelry designer a gemologist and a metalsmith so, I mean, when, as you mentioned, one of the reasons that you started Jewelry Navigator was because you identified this gap between what the customers see when they're shopping for jewelry and their knowledge about jewelry versus 
you know, all these amazing designers who are, who are out in the marketplace who just don't have a real way to reach these customers. So I'm curious, what do you think is this gap between customers and indie jewelry brands? What's the reason that this gap exists? And do you think it's because customers just lack access to them or is it something else? What, what in your opinion is it? I think it's, it kind of boils down to habit. We're used to going into a jewelry store and seeing the same thing in almost every jewelry store. Diamond engagement rings, diamond fashion jewelry, diamond pendants, you know, ruby, emerald, sapphire stuff. So we've trained consumers to shop like that and that those are the only selections available. But now there's a sector of consumer who's, you know, gotten wise to that and they seek out something different that will stand out and, um, you know, help them express what makes them unique. So I'm not really sure how to close that gap between the retail stores and the indie designers. I think it's just going to take time and education. And also it's going to take a lot of work on the designers part too, reaching out to retailers and getting creative with events and trunk shows and, you know, just getting out there and you know, just like a politician shaking hands and holding babies and, you know, just getting out there and getting in front of the people. I think that's, that's what's going to, those are the kind of actions that are going to be necessary to close that gap. Would you say that kind of the changing retail landscape, like moving away from brick and mortar to more e-commerce presents more opportunities to indie designers, or are there also challenges involved with that? I know you have some experience working in brick and mortar jewelry stores, so it might be interesting for you to kind of speak about that shift. It's funny because for several years, the brick and mortar stores have been shaking in their boots because of e-commerce. But now I kind of see a shift going back that people want to go to have a physical location to go to, to be able to hold and try on and touch and see the jewelry in person so they can experience the color and understand the way it looks on them and how it feels. So I think we kind of see a shift in tide back to bringing people to a physical place. I think, I think both sides have a great opportunity to make that work for both of them if they want to. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I, I definitely agree in that sense. I think today there isn't as much of a divide between brick and mortar and e-commerce as some people think, and that the two can really work well together if retailers are kind of willing to explore that a little more. Exactly. Yeah, that's how, that's how I feel, and that's kind of how I see. But in my experience, brick and mortar retailers, they're very stubborn. They, they stick with what works. Because they have huge, huge investments. They've got employees, they've got rent, they've got inventory that they need to pay for. I get it. It's important to, to stick with the things that work. But I, I feel that they need to be a little bit more open to, you know, reaching out there and trying different things. Definitely. So what do you think today's customers want? And what can indie jewelry designers do to better address those wants to really serve the customers? It's hard to say what people want. I, I read that question and I thought, how, 
how do you answer that? How do any of us answer that? I mean, as <laughs> you know, as marketers, we're all just flinging spaghetti on the wall, hoping it'll stick and not really knowing, <laughs> you know, it's like you're yeah. playing, playing follow the leader and you're looking behind you, hoping other people are going to follow you. I wish I could tell my clients that that's my job, that I promise I will fling spaghetti on the wall for you. (laughs) I don't know if I could get away with that, though. (laughs) I know, because it is such a guessing game. You don't know what's going to work. You can only keep trying and keep um, just keep being creative with it. You know, I think in in the big picture of things, there, there was a time when the general customer did not trust jewelry jewelers and it's most important to be very honest and have high levels of integrity as far as standing behind your jewelry designs if something goes wrong make sure it gets fixed but most of all starting starting with high quality materials and showing up and doing things that are going to make customers and clients trust you and that goes true for retailers, too, in brick-and-mortar stores. So I feel like customers want someone they can depend on. I think they want to know that the independent designers are going to be there in a year if they want to expand their collection. Um, also be there if something goes wrong and they need a stone replaced or the ring sized. As far as style and design, that just kind of blows with the wind. <laughs> you know? It's... Really. It's like, you know, a couple of years ago, the Pandora style charm bracelets were huge and that's gone in the past. Yeah, they're really struggling to reinvent themselves. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, it kind of all goes down to who wants to follow the trends and who doesn't, you know, and zeroing in on the customers who do and the ones who don't. It almost sounds like some of what you're going toward is that customer service and customer experience can kind of be a form of marketing in itself because customers want to be treated well. And I think also in an e-commerce world, it can start to feel a little bit impersonal and customers want to feel like they're a priority and like they can trust people and, you know, be able to reach out if something's wrong. And that can kind of be a form of marketing in itself. If, if a brand really wants to make that part of its its mission and values right that's a really good point and um that is what it's come down to i i see and hear so many people purchasing jewelry online and i'm not talking about jewelry from any of the designers that we're talking about i'm talking about things that they're hoping are a good value because it's a low price but then they're disappointed and shocked when it's not Offering shoppers a different kind of shopping experience with um, with brands and jewelry that they're going to stand behind. I definitely agree with that. What do you think that today's independent jewelry brands can do more of to, one, find their audience, find the right audience, and then once they do find that audience, how can they really engage with that audience? I feel that designers and brands if they just if they can really focus on what they do well and what their brand resonates with then seek out those those audiences and really connect with them 
and start locally, you know, to grow globally, start small, start in your cities, start in your towns, start holding trunk shows and, you know, work, work with small groups within your community to kind of get it, get the ball rolling. And I, I really feel that putting it, putting in the work to identify who their ideal market is, I think that's what's really going to start to help jewelers grow, help jewelers and brands grow more. I know when we talked separately from this podcast, we were talking a lot about Instagram and how it's been tightening its hold on organic engagement and Mm -hmm. how in the past that was really a way that especially in indie brands in general were able to find their audience and really start to discover who their customer is and how they could better communicate with them. But now that Instagram is really changing and it's harder to grow an organic following on it, I think a lot of brands are are scrambling and and panicking to be honest. They're they're not sure how to really go about reaching those audience members anymore and and it's really it's really difficult for a, a lot of brands out there. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, on how maybe they can better connect with customers while all this is happening um, in spite of Instagram? Um, is Instagram kind of a lost cause or, or are there things people can still do to make it work for them? I think we all got really dependent on Instagram carrying us through, you know, and getting us in front of, of potential customers. And now that that's, that's on lockdown, so to say, I think it really just boils down to us getting down and doing the work, understanding who your ideal client and customer is, and just doing what it takes to get in front of them and doing the work ourselves, reverting back to things that work like email lists and customer service, you know, getting in, getting in front of, of clients and just doing doing more of the work ourselves rather than depend on a virtual slideshow to show people our our jewelry um i think it needs to get into the hands of people more than on the screens yeah i definitely agree with that i've been encouraging a lot of clients lately to experiment more with event marketing and putting on things like you mentioned trunk shows or maybe live influencer events or I mean, really anything, a pop-up shop, any kind of event that gets people to put the jewelry on themselves and really experience it in person can help brands expose themselves in ways that aren't possible with social media. And I know that in the past, we ha- in the past year, we've had a few like pretty bad social media outages where like Facebook was down for a day, Instagram was down and everyone was panicking. And yeah, that stinks and it's tough for marketing teams everywhere, but it's also when those things happen, they're really good reminders that we depend so much on these tools that we don't own and they could disappear tomorrow. Like probably this won't happen, but who's to say that Facebook won't suddenly shut down tomorrow? And then what, you know, what is everyone going to do if that's the only way that you connected with your customers and, and built a, a customer base? how are you going to reach those people if if the platform disappears? So it's so important for people to keep thinking about other ways that they can connect that aren't necessarily owned by like other entities. I think that's going to be a really important 
an important path for, for all of us to start, to start walking on, you know, doing our own, doing our own work and pulling our own weight. So what can we expect next from Jewelry Navigator? What do you have um, in the pipeline and what are some ways that you've been reaching out and finding new designers? I go to trade shows. I went to, I went to Tucson, AGTA's show in Tucson and JCK's and met up with some designers that I've been following and I'm looking forward to JA New York and New York now next month. So I'm looking forward to seeing some designers that um, I haven't met yet and featuring them. Um, as far as what's coming up, it's funny that you mentioned events because I'm, I'm developing some systems to put some events in place. I'll be doing an event for one of the designers that I represent. I'll be doing a couple of them for a charity function in, um, in the fall. So I'm doing more of what we were just talking about, you know, getting in front of people and getting the jewelry in people's hands and just, you know, helping designers be an extension of that process. Do you encourage designers to also get in touch with you? Or are you doing most of the sleuthing on, on designers that you like? Is there a way that people can reach out to you? Sure. I always welcome designers to, to reach out to me. I'm happy to help in any way and they can reach me at my email direct email is brenna at jewelrynavigator.com you can also find me on instagram for as long as for as long as that's gonna be standing um <laughs> yeah it might be gone tomorrow i don't know if we should keep talking <laughs> you can you could just cut that out because yeah, the power, the powers that be. I always feel like I'm being spied on by Instagram. Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of people are starting to feel that way. Yeah, it's like, oh, I better not say anything bad about Instagram. They might shut me down or what is that called? <laughs> Go into shadow ban or whatever. Oh, yes. <laughs> but they can, they can find me at Jewelry Navigator on Instagram as well as on Facebook. But the best way to reach me is by email. Great. This has been such an excellent conversation. You had so many wonderful insights into how brands can better connect with their customers. And I really appreciate you taking the time to chat today. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Larissa. I'm so flattered that you reached out and I really enjoyed visiting with you and learning more about you and what you do. But um, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to be able to talk to Brenna and pick her brain about what indie jewelry designers can do to better connect with their customers. Be sure to visit the Jewelry Navigator website, jewelrynavigator.com, and tune into the Jewelry Navigator podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, and Podbean. I look forward to sharing more interviews with you. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information about marketing services for your jewelry brand, visit joyjoya.com, where you can download our free ebook, Proven Conversion Strategies for E-Commerce Jewelry Retailers.